thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. I'm free. <laughs> There's power in the name of Jesus to let my headphone socket come out. Okay, good morning, welcome. Just... Uh, I recognise there's a few new people here this morning. Just, I'll tell you what, we'll make this easy, right? Because sometimes if I said, if, you, if it's your first time here, put your hand up, you'd be like, oh no. If you've been here loads of times, put your hand up. There we go. Right, so the people without the hands up, right, okay, Bill, hands down. <laughs> uh, just, just, I just felt while we were singing there, there's, you know, God is here, not because we're in a nice building or because it's Sunday. God is here because he's in Hills. Um, and I know that a lot of people, you know, when I uh, invited some of my uh, workmates from school when Chloe was dedicated, one of them said, oh, you know, it's happy clappy, it's very happy clappy. And that, that's a negative. Is that a negative? Because what's the opposite? Miserable and quiet, you know? You know, oh, I'm going to go to that miserable and quiet church today. That's, really, that's silly. And actually, you know, we think nothing of going to a football match and raising our hands at 11 people. You know, even at Old Trafford, they're still doing it amazingly. Um, and we think nothing about going to a pop concert and raising our hands and going, yeah, Robbie Williams or whatever you like. It's a bit old. That's a bit old school, isn't it? Uh, I'm going to say something else then. No, he was even older. Right, okay, forget that. But actually, we're here to worship God. And so actually, we're giving him our all. And it says in the Bible, I want all men everywhere, and that includes women, to lift holy hands in prayer and worship. And so actually, it's important that we recognize we're giving him the glory. We're lifting him high. You know what? We're not saying, look at me, I've got my hands in there. We're saying, God, take this. Take this as an offering. So brilliant. If you've not been before, if you've not been recently, we've been doing a series on the book of Ruth. It's a short book in the Bible. It's four chapters long, and we're up to chapter three. And uh, I make no apologies because we're going to read the whole chapter in a couple of little bits. But last week, I should have shown you a picture. And there's many of us in the room who are visual learners, okay? And we see something and we remember it, and it's easier to remember. And I talked last week about a tapestry. So I thought, I want to show it, because then if nothing else this morning, you can remember this picture, all right? So the first picture is a picture of a mess. The other one, oh, you've spot the surprise, it's all right. Go on, I should have sent it the other way around. That looks a mess, doesn't it? An absolute mess. It looks like spaghetti, multicolored spaghetti. Okay? And that's the backside of the tapestry. It was called the unruly backside. And I said perhaps we shouldn't talk about unruly backsides in church. But anyway, but the unruly backside. And actually, it looks a mess, an absolute mess. And there was a poem I read by Corrie Ten Boom that says that even in amongst the, the weaving, some of the dark threads are important. Some of the things that don't look great are important. Because the flip side is the big picture that God sees. And the flip side of this tapestry is a thing of great beauty. Now, Augie, now. There we go. Okay. Doesn't that look amazing? Yeah? But it takes the mess of the back of it to create the beauty. So that's what I wanted to say last week. And I spent all morning as I was preaching thinking, I've not sent it to the tech team. I've not sent it. And I thought, oh, my word. And I was distracted. But isn't that beautiful? 
So even in our mess, this morning you might have come and life might be really tough and things might be a bit of a mess and you might think, I haven't got a clue where God is in this. But God sees the whole picture. He sees the big picture. So if you hear nothing else this morning, just remember the beautiful tapestry that actually requires a bit of mess to create the beauty. All right? So that was from last week. So if you weren't here, listen to the podcast, catch up. Okay, (laughs) Ruth chapter 3. We're going to look this morning about obedience, no shortcuts. Have you ever taken a shortcut? Yeah? Have you ever taken a shortcut that was not a very good shortcut? Yeah? Okay. Oh, there's a lot of people, right? Um, I took a shortcut once uh, when I was skiing, and it nearly ended up in my death. That's an extreme situation, but it's true. It nearly did. Um, and I nearly took a shortcut from one piece to the other when I was a, when I was a young lad, and uh, it could have been disastrous. Um, I maybe did it to save time. Maybe I did it to impress somebody. Maybe to avoid a situation. Or maybe you've taken a shortcut because you think you know best. Yeah? We've talked about the Keswick to Barrow this morning. Wouldn't it be great in between stations if you could just hide a bike somewhere and have a bit of a cycle? Or even better, get a friend to pick you up and take you to the next one. You know? But if you did it, you'd get found out, wouldn't you? Somebody would grass you up. Somebody would say, oh, he didn't really run it or walk it. Look, he's fresh as a daisy. He's no blisters and he's 16 stone. But anyway. <laughs> but there was a story... Uh, of a lorry driver in Liverpool transporting cars for Ford. He was transporting Ford Focuses. And he was on the motorway, and he recognized that up ahead there was a huge tailback that was going to delay him and cause him an inconvenience. So he thought, I know, I'm going to take a shortcut. I can come off the motorway, and I can go down the A roads, and I can make sure I'm there in good time, and I can get home early. Because in a shortcut situation, it's usually about me, me, me. In a shortcut situation, it's about us. And actually, this lorry driver took this shortcut, and the picture that you're going to see now shows the top level of all his Ford Focus cars after he'd taken the shortcut. It should be there now, okay? Because actually, he went under a bridge that was too low for his his transporter. And the entire top level of Ford Focus cars was wiped out. And his shortcut was disastrous. And not only that, it led to him having to make some really, really big explanations to, as to why he did it. He might have been saving time, he might have been saving effort and energy, but the shortcut was no good. And this morning, when we think about God, God asks us to be obedient, not because he's a cruel, tyrant taskmaster, not because he's a mean person or mean God, but actually because he knows what's best for us. And he knows that in obedience, there's joy. So when you see a happy, clappy church, that's great because God says that I have joy. You know, I have joy. We should be joyful. We should be rejoicing. Even if the dark tapestry of life is killing us a little bit, we rejoice in him. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because we can, because he redeems, he restores. And this life and our time here is only short. Shortcuts can lead to damage and devastation. And where obedience is concerned, we cannot circumvent God's will. What God wants is going to be the best for us. He's the designer. He's the creator. What God wants us to do isn't because he's mean or cruel, but we need to be in line with what he asks. Otherwise, we could in life be heading for a low bridge with a tall lorry. And that's no good. So let's look at the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 3. The verses will be up on the screen. Uh, If you've got your Bible with you, please follow to make sure I'm not making this up, okay? Uh, I am reading from the message version this morning because I feel sometimes when we've got a story to tell, it tells it quite well, okay? Ruth chapter 3, starting at verse 1. 
those of you who've not been, Naomi has been left without a husband and sons. Her daughter-in-law, Ruth, has said, where you go, I will go. I'm going to come where you are. I've seen something of God in you. I'm going to follow you because I, I love you and I want what's best. And last week, we saw her gleaning in a field in a dangerous situation, gathering stuff that wasn't, wasn't the best, but God blessed her in that situation. So one day, her mother-in-law, Naomi, said to Ruth, my dear daughter, isn't it about time... I arranged a good home for you so you can have a happy life. And isn't Boaz our close relative, the one with whose young women you've been working? Maybe it's time to make our move. Tonight is the night of Boaz's barley harvest at the threshing floor. Take a bath, put on some perfume, get all dressed up and go to the threshing floor. It's not threshers, okay? That's the, it's the threshing floor. But don't let him know you're there until the party is well underway and he's had plenty of food and drink. When you see him slipping off to sleep, watch where he lies down and then go there. Lie at his feet to let him know that you are available to him for marriage. Then wait and see what he says. He'll tell you what to do. Ruth said this, if you say so, I'll do it, just as you've told me. If you say so, I'll do it, just as you've told me. In this chapter, Naomi, who's been bitter and a bit quiet, suddenly springs into life. She suddenly sees the future isn't as bad as it, it looked, that things are working out better, that God is working behind the scenes. And she suddenly sees and decides, I'm going to try a bit of matchmaking. Roz, I love my wife to bits, but she's terrible at matchmaking. You know, She sees a situation and she puts one and one together and makes three, okay? She loves to sort of think, oh, I could match that person with that person. Right, Anna? I'm not lying. Yeah, okay. And Roz loves to matchmake. So if she starts suggesting you go out for a meal with somebody, just don't, okay? <laughs> okay, I'm not sure she's had any success rate so far. I'm at, well, maybe I have. Only with me, probably. Yeah, okay. But she loves a bit of matchmaking. I try and tell her not to. She just can't help herself because she wants people to... to to be in love, you know, it's a great thing, isn't it? And Naomi, in this passage, gets the scent of a new husband for Ruth. Naomi gets a bit of Ros about her and goes, oh, it's about time, you know. Let's put these two together and see what can happen. I'm not against matchmaking, because actually somebody, me and Ros, they kept putting me and Ros together and thinking you'd be perfect. Ray Tate, who's speaking in a couple of weeks, you know, his wife, takes, she just takes a lot of credit for me and Ros being together, but I have to say, we had something to do with it, okay? Um, <laughs> But Naomi sees this chance of a new husband for Ruth, and she says, Ruth, it's about time we made our move. So the first thing this morning is, it's about time we make our move. You know, you might have been coming along to this church for a while. You might have been coming along to this church for, for a long time. And I think God's saying to each of us, it's about time you made your move. In other words, it's about time you step up. It's about time you served. It's about time you got involved. Sunday morning isn't what church is all about. This is the celebration. You know, I was reminded on Tuesday from the Connect Group notes that there's people in our church, um, one of them's here this morning, or they're both here this morning, who came to things as youth every day apart from Saturday. And is it any surprise when they're getting together and sharing that fun and family? They weren't coming to a church service. Sometimes they were just coming for toast and chocolate spread. Sometimes, weren't you, Amy? Yeah? Okay. Sometimes they were coming for toast and chocolate spread just after school. Sometimes they were coming for tea and then a Bible group. Sometimes they were just coming to help at something. Sometimes they were coming, but they were coming together and growing together. 
And that's what the early church was all about. If you only come on a Sunday morning, if you sleep for eight hours, let's say, and you only come to church on a Sunday morning, then this service is about, I think it's about 9% of your day. Maybe not even that. 9% of your day. It's not even the 10% of tithing. (laughs) 9% of your day. Can you imagine what that is of your week? Can you imagine what that is of your week? If you don't connect with the family, then actually you're not going to be connected. And actually it's about time we made our move. You know, if we know what we're meant to do, then why wait? If we know what God wants us to do, why wait? Why do we deliberate? What do we deliberate about? Just get on with it. You know, there's nothing more frustrating than waiting around when you're ready to go, is there? Gents. Um, No, that was a bit, sorry, that was a bit sexist. There's nothing worse than waiting around when you're ready to go. When you know you've got somewhere to be, and you're thinking, I don't want to arrive just on time. I want to be there before it happens. And actually, sometimes there's nothing worse than being ready and waiting around. Maybe today you, need, you can see what you need to do with your life. Maybe you've been coming for weeks, and you've heard the message that Jesus loves you, and that he died to save you, that you can be forgiven, that you are loved, and yet you've still chosen to do nothing about it. Because unless we grasped hold of it, It doesn't matter. Jesus died for the whole world. But we've got a choice to make and say yes or no to him. He's not going to force it on us. It's about time we made our move. Maybe you're just waiting around and expecting things to fall into your lap. Maybe you're waiting for someone to come to you and go, it could be you, okay? God's saying, come on, it's about time you make your move. It's about time you make your move. Sounds a little bit scheming, doesn't it? <laughs> mother-in-law. If your mother-in-law came up to you, or your father-in-law, or any in-law, and said, it's about time you made your move, do this, do this, and went through all this whole routine, it sounds a little bit like a, a bit of a dastardly scheme, where at the end she goes, ha, 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 you know? It's about time. Sounds like a plan that isn't actually particularly wise to put Naomi, to put Ruth, sorry, and Boaz in quite a compromising situation. Basically, Boaz is doing this harvest, and she's saying, well, wait till he's drunk, wait till he's not really aware of his senses, and then go and lie at his feet. And maybe he'll he'll marry you, because he's the one from our family who can. Maybe Naomi is taking it into her own hands rather than waiting on God. We say, it's about time. It's about time we made our move. Is it about time we made our move? And don't just come and be carried, but come and carry Don't just come and be a passenger, but help to drive so that we don't take shortcuts under low bridges. And what's Ruth's response to Naomi? This woman, Ruth sees Naomi as somebody of God, who God is in. She's seen Naomi's life. She's seen the the wisdom of Naomi. And Ruth's response to this godly woman is, whatever you do, whatever you say, I'll do. I will do whatever you say, just as you've told me. That's our second thing this morning. It's about time you make your move, but will you do whatever he's asked you? Will you do whatever he's asked you? You might be thinking, well, actually, I'm quite good at singing. I'd like to be in the worship group. Well, we often have a bit of a rule that anyone in the worship group has to serve in other ways as well because it's no good just being at the front and not doing anything else. It's about time to do whatever he says. That is the response God is wanting to hear from us this morning, yeah? Yeah? Whatever you say, I'll do. 
But sometimes we like to stick our fingers in our ears and go, oh, I don't really know, I don't like what you're saying, God. <laughs> or that's going to be a bit hard, God. Or, or maybe, God, that's going to take some of my time. Maybe, God, that's going to take some of my, my chill time, my precious time that I enjoy. I need a break, God. You know, I work really hard, God. I work, I work however many days a week, God, and I need some me time. But God says, will you do whatever I say? You know, in the book group on a Friday, we're reading a book called Letters to the Church, and it's talking about how actually the early church was attractive because they gave it all for each other. You know, they didn't sit there on a, saying, oh, can't wait to see you on Sunday. <laughs> they lived together, they did together, and that God was seen in their midst. And we're seeing that in some of our connect groups that are growing. If you're not in a connect group, guys, get in one. Because that's how you're going to be pastored. That's how you're going to be connected. That's how you're going to know people. That's how you're going to be able to, to grow. The response God wants to hear from us this morning is, I will do whatever you say. Do you know, maybe we get this the wrong way around. Maybe we get this the wrong way around. We say, God, why are you not doing what I'm saying? Yeah? We experience that. God, why are you not doing what I'm saying? No, the response is, God, I will do whatever you say. Not, God, why are you not doing what I'm saying? He's God, we're not. He is God, we're not. He knows the ways. His ways are higher. Maybe we're more subtle than that. Maybe we don't say, God, why are you not doing what I'm saying? Maybe we say, God, if you do this, then I'll do that. Maybe that's another sort of subtle way of putting it. God, if you do this, I used to do that when I was a teenager. God, if you let me pass this exam without doing a revision, then I'll read my Bible every day. <laughs> Did I keep the promise? Well, sometimes, for a week. God, if you do this, then I'll worship you forever. You know, God isn't to be trifled with. He's not a human that we can barter with. God says, I know the plans. I know the way. I know the best. Just trust me. And will you do what I say? Will you do what I'm asking? Will you give? You know, Christianity isn't meant to be easy. Jesus talks about laying down our lives, picking up our cross, and yet we expect it to be on our terms. And yet it's always got to be on his. So let's start saying it's about time I started doing what he said. It's about time I moved in his spirit. You know, Ruth trusts Naomi. We know that because she's willing to follow her orders. She's willing to go where Naomi goes. She trusts Naomi because she sees God in her. You know, Naomi is a godly woman, even though she's seen difficulty. And you know, God can be trusted. This morning I want to say that to you. God can be trusted. And we can't really say we love him when we disobey him. You know, we can't say we love him when we go against what his will is. Let's carry on reading. Ruth chapter 3, verses 6 to 14. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor. That's hard to say, isn't it? She went down to the threshing floor and put her mother-in-law's plan into action. Boaz had a good time eating and drinking his fill. He felt great. Then he went off to get some sleep, lying down at the end of a stack of barley. Ruth quietly followed. She lay down to signal her availability for marriage. It just reminds me of this a little bit. When we went to Uganda with Shirley, we were told that the ladies had to cover the shoulders. I think I might have said this before. The ladies had to cover the shoulders because actually if you didn't have your shoulders covered, if you just wear a vest top, 
it was a sign that you were available for marriage in Uganda. So after that day, I think Shirley started wearing more vest tops, didn't she? <laughs> I think, I'm sure, I'm sure she did. I'm sure she did. You'll have to ask her, but anyway. So this was a sign that Ruth was available to Boaz to say, look, I'm free and actually I'm part of your family and it's your responsibility to marry me. In the middle of the night, the man was suddenly startled and sat up. I'm not surprised. Surprise! Okay, I don't think Ruth shouted that at that point. I think that's just the message writer. This woman asleep at his feet, he said, and who are you? She said, I am Ruth, your maiden. Take me under your protecting wing. Take me under your protecting wing. You're my close relative, you know. In the circle of covenant redeemers, you do have the right to marry me. Now, ladies and gents, don't go up to somebody and say, you have the right to marry me. It's not a good chat-up line, okay? <laughs> it may be true that you're free and they're single and you see someone attractive, but don't go up to them and say, you have the right to marry me. Because they might turn around and go, yes, but I don't want my rights. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's fine. So I don't want you to be disappointed. You do have the right to marry me. Boaz said, God bless you, my dear daughter. What a splendid expression of love. And when you could have had your pick of any of the young men around. And now, my dear daughter, don't you worry about a thing. There's a challenge, isn't it? Don't you worry about a thing. Why? Because God's got it covered. Don't you worry about a thing. I'll do all you could want or ask. There's that phrase again. I'll do all you could want or ask. It's an echo of God. I'll do all you want or ask, but within my will. Doing it right, there's no shortcut to obedience. Boaz isn't going to immediately go and do something silly. He has to look at what's right. He doesn't take shortcuts. He doesn't suddenly just go, right, let's go to the chapel and get married. Let's go and do it now. He says, let's wait. Everybody in town knows what a courageous woman you are, a real prize. You are right. I am a close relative to you, but there is one even closer than I am. There's an obstacle to this marriage. There's somebody else who actually has got first in line to Ruth. It's a strange situation to us in this day and age, but that's how it worked. There was somebody whose right it was to marry Ruth so that her line would carry on. So stay the rest of the night. In the morning, if he wants to exercise his customary rights and responsibility as the closest covenant redeemer, he'll have his chance. But if he isn't interested, as God lives, I'll do it. Now, go back to sleep until morning. Ruth slept at his feet until dawn, but she got up while it was still dark and wouldn't be recognized. Then Boaz said to himself, no one must know that Ruth came to the threshing floor. Ruth's phrase to Boaz is, spread the wings of your blanket over me. She lies at his feet and he wakes up and she says, cover me with your blanket. Show me your protection. Show me that you care. Show me that you accept me. You know, Ruth and Boaz are suddenly thrust into a very compromising position. You know, they're together alone in the night. The drink has been flowing freely for Boaz. Ruth had had a bath, so she smelled great and looked great. She was a thing of beauty because she'd got herself prepared. And she wakes up and he wakes up and they're together in the dark, in the night. Nobody must know. That's how shame creeps in, isn't it? That's how guilt creeps in. Nobody must know. Don't tell anybody. Don't let anyone know. That's how it comes upon us. And she says to Boaz, take me under your protecting wing. You know, I want to put it this morning that that's almost a prayer. You can pray this to God. Boaz isn't God. He's a person. But we can come to God and say, God, take us under your protecting wing. Show me that you love me. Cover me with your blanket, if you like. Take me under your wings. 
In chapter 2 last week, Boaz actually recognizes that Ruth is seeking protection under God's wings. He actually says to her, I can see that you're looking for protection under God's wings. And then here we have her saying, protect me, take me under your wing. It's a prayer. Let me ask this morning, where do we seek protection? Where do we seek safety? Maybe it's in numbers, maybe it's in people. You know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the fact that some people wear good luck charms, don't they? Some people wear a shamrock, because it's the luck of the Irish, or whatever you want to say. You know, some people will go and buy some lucky heather and pin it to their coat, because they think that's going to protect them. Or even horseshoes, you know? Horseshoes are thought to bring good luck. When they're turned one way, they're thought to bring good luck. When they're turned the other way, they're thought to bring bad luck. And let me tell you, if they're still attached to the foot of the horse as it's coming towards your face, it's definitely not good luck, whichever way up the horseshoe is. What nonsense. It's just a piece of metal. You know, there's a pendant that people wear sometimes. And I'm sorry, I don't want to offend anyone this morning. There's a pendant of St. Christopher that people wear. You know, do you know what Christopher is supposed to be the patron saint of? Traveling, okay, traveling. But not only that, apparently... St. Christopher will keep you safe from epilepsy, pestilence, storms, lightning, and floods. So next time you see the waters rising in Barrow, grab your St. Christopher's pendant, wear it around your neck, and then stand like King Canute and say back, it's not going to work, is it? It's not going to work because it's a superstition. People go and look for everything. We were at the Christmas markets in Edinburgh, and there was a queue of people who, if I said to them, I believe God wants to tell you he loves you. I believe that God has got great things for you. They'd have probably laughed in my face, but they were queuing up to see a palm reader. And a fortune teller. And I'm thinking, a pack of playing cards isn't going to tell you your future. Although it might do with the wrong spirits involved. God says you have a future. You have a hope because I love you. And you don't need to worry about what tomorrow will bring because the eternity is safe in my hands. You don't need to go looking for dark reasons. You don't need to go looking into difficult situations. I love you. Cast aside superstitious nonsense. You know, people will often even just read a, wear a cross around the neck, almost as if this will keep me safe. Do you know, the cross itself won't. It's the man that was on it. The man that lived, who died and rose again. He is the one that promises protection. And all we need to do is put our trust in him. Not a necklace. Not a symbol, not an item. We just need to put our trust in the person who died because he loves you and rose again, beating the past so you can be forgiven. That's what we need to grab hold of. It's about time you grabbed hold of it. It's about time you took a hold and said, yes, I'm going to be open to all that God is. Let's forget all the rubbish in this world. Let's forget the stuff that goes on that people will tell me. Old wives' tales. And recognize Jesus was real, historically, archaeologically, and you cannot visit his tomb because it is no longer there. He is not there because he rose again, defeating death. You know, God isn't found in a symbol. He's found in Jesus. He's found in a savior. That's a better sound bite, isn't it? God isn't found in a symbol. He's found in a savior. That is Jesus, his son. Ruth has lost her husband. She's lost her father-in-law. She's lost her brother-in-law. She's lost her homeland. And she's a foreigner in a strange land. We've read this, haven't we, last week? 
but she knows what she needs to seek. And what is that? God. She knows that in this difficult situation, in this hard place, she needs to seek God. Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is a safe place to hide. He is a refuge. He is a protector. And he can be yours this morning. Right now. It's about time you grabbed hold of it. Ruth chapter 3 verse 14. Ruth slept at his feet until dawn. But she got up while it was still dark and wouldn't be recognized. Then Boaz said to himself, no one must know that Ruth came to the threshing floor. Do you know, there was a sense of shame about this meeting. Would it be good for their relationship to start off with a sense of shame involved? No. But actually, God restores. Ruth leaves in darkness. Boaz thinks no one should know she's been there. Scandal, it's like EastEnders. Okay. Don't anyone tell you you've been here. They'll just think the worst. Everyone will assume that you've, we've been up to no good. Everybody will assume that it's underhand. But God is at work. They are obedient to God within it. You know, even though there will have been a temptation to act, Boaz says, there's someone else who gets first dibs on marrying you, Ruth. There's no shortcut to obedience. There's somebody else who I need to speak to first. There's something else I need to do to put right. I need to do this in the right way. If I don't do it in the right way, it'll all fall apart. I need to do this right. I need to be standing upright. Boaz says, let's go about this in the right way. There's no shortcuts to obedience. Do we have the right desire to do the right thing? Do we have a good moral compass that says, actually, we're not going to go down that road? Why? Because I think so. No, because God says... I know what's best. I love you. Follow my instructions because they will always work out for the best. Free from shame and guilt. The chapter finishes by saying this. So Boaz said, bring the shawl you are wearing and spread it out. She spread it out and he poured it full of barley, six measures, and put it on her shoulders. Hopefully it was fastened so the barley didn't fall all over. But anyway, then she went back to town When she came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, and how did things go, my dear daughter? That's what Ros says when she sends somebody on a date. How did it go? go? She doesn't send people on dates, but she'd like to. Anyway, Ruth told her everything that the man had done for her, adding, and he gave me all this barley besides, six quarts. He told me, you can't go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Naomi said, sit back and relax, my dear daughter, until we find out how things turn out. That man isn't going to fool around. Why? Because he was a godly man. He regularly said to his workers, God bless you. He says to Ruth when he wakes up, surprised in the middle of the night, God bless you. God be with you. He isn't going to fool around. Mark my words, he's going to get everything wrapped up today. Last thing I want us to think about as I finish, and some of you breathe a sigh of relief. Boaz's words this morning can be God's words to you. He says, Sit back and relax until you find out how things turn out. Sit back and relax until you find out how things turn out. You know, there is no need for shame when we are obedient. There's no, re- there's no need for shame. God isn't going to ask you to do something that will bring shame and guilt on you. That's our own conscience and self. And he says there's no need for worry when we trust him. So what are we waiting on today? Because it's about time you stop just waiting and actually kept pressing into God. It's about time we made our move. What are we worrying about today? What is it that's been front and center of your thoughts this week? Worrying in itself, can we control that worry? 
If it's in the past, can we do anything about it now? No. But God can. God can start your future today. And the past can be gone. Forgiven, wiped away, forgotten. Boaz realizes that there are no shortcuts to obedience, that there's no need to worry when God is weaving the tapestry. Boaz knows that he will take you under his wings, that he will protect and provide. That's what Boaz does for Ruth. He protects and then provides. God will do that for you. He'll protect and provide. Have we settled our lives with God? He won't let you rest until you do. He will pursue you. He will prod you. If you're coming to church, he will nudge you again and again. And he will constantly show you he loves you. And constantly show you the best way. Until you make the choice to follow or not. You know, we often give out these cards. They're available today again. That say, God loves you. You've made mistakes. You died. Jesus died for you. The question is, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> you can come here every week. And if you only get as far as that point... That's not enough. Because the question is, what are you going to do about it? It's about time. It's about time you made your move. Do you know, there's no shortcut to Jesus. It's not about being good. There's no shortcut to Jesus. It's through the cross or not at all. It's through the cross or not at all. It's not through a building. It's not through our parents. It's not through our background. It's not through our country of birth. It's through the death of Jesus, your saviour who took the punishment in our place so that we could move forwards. Ruth says, I will do whatever you say. Why? Because she trusted Naomi. The challenge for you this morning, if you're a Christian, is will you do what God is telling you to do? When God prompts you and prods you and says you need to do this, you need to stop that, not because I'm mean, but because I know the best. Will you? If God's saying there's something you're doing that's not right in life, will you stop it now? Will we say, I will do whatever you say, God? If there's something that's going on that we've been challenged about and we know it's there and every so often it brings us guilt and shame, will we say, God, I will do whatever you say? And it's about time I stopped. It's about time I did. It's about time I did things differently. There's no shortcut to obedience. Will we do whatever he says? Ruth did it for Naomi because she loved and trusted her. Joe, our God is bigger than Naomi. Our God is bigger than we can ever ask or imagine him to be. And if we do whatever he says, he will show us the flip side of the tapestry of life. He will start to show us the bigger picture where instead of a mess of threads, we see a crown of beauty. Is that what we want? Well, it's about time. It's about time that we took our chance and started to do what he's asking us to do. Let's pray.